Chapter 4. Being Neighborly What in the world are you going to do now, Joe? asked Meg. One snowy afternoon as her mother came as her sister came trampling through the hall in rubber boots, old sack, and hood, with a broom in one hand and a shovel in the other. Going off for exercise, answered Joe, with a mischievous twinkle in her eye. I think I should think two long walks this morning would have been enough. It's cold and dull out, and I advise you stay warm and dry by the fire, as I do, said Meg with a shiver. Never take advice. Can't keep still all day and not being a pussycat. I don't like to doze off by the fire. I like adventures, and I like going out to find some. Meg went back to toast her feet and read Yvonne Ho, and Joe began to dig past with great energy. The snow was light, and her little broom, she soon swept a path all around the garden, her bath to walk in when the sun came out and the invalid dolls needed air. Now the garden separated the March's house from that of Mr. Lawrence. Both stood in a, in a su- suburb of the city, which was still country-like with groves, lawns, and large gardens and quiet streets. The low hedge parted the two estates. On one side was an old brown house looking rather bare and shabby and robbed of the vines, that in summer covered in walls and the flowers, which then surrounded it. On the other side was a stately stone mansion, plainly betoken every sort of, com- of comfort and luxury, with a big coach house and well-kept grounds of the conservatory, and the glimpses of lovely things one, one <laughs> caught between the rich crayons, yet it seemed a lonely, lifeless sort of house, for no children frolicked on the lawn and no motherly face ever smiled at the windows and few people went in and out except the golden gentleman and his grandson. To Joe, lively fancy, this fine house seemed a kind of enchanted palace full of splendors and delights which no one enjoyed. She had long wanted to behold these hidden glories and to, the, to know the Lawrence boy who looked as if he would be like to be known if he only knew how to begin. Since the party, she had been more eager than ever, and planned many of and planned many ways of making friends with him. But he had not been seen lately, and Joe began to think he had gone away when she once they spied a brown face at an upper window, looking wistfully down into their garden where Beth and Amy were snowballing one another. That boy is suffering from for society and fun, she said to herself. His grandpa does not know what is good for him and keeps him shut up all alone. He needs a party of jolly boys to play with, or someone young and lively. I have great to go over and tell the old gentleman so. The idea amused Joe, who liked to do daring things, and she always scandalizing Meg with her by, by her queer performances. The plan of going over was not forgotten, and when the snowy afternoon came, Joe resolved to try what could be done. She saw Mr. Lawrence drive off and then sailed out to dig her way down the ledge where she paused and took a survey. All quiet curtains, down at the lower windows, servants out of sight and nothing human visible but a black, the curly black head leaning on a thin hand at the upper window. There he is, thought Joe. Poor boy, all alone and sick this dismal, this dismal day. It's a shame. I'll toss up a snowball and make him look out and then say a kind word to him. Up went a handful of soft snow and the head turned at once showing a face with lost its listless look in a minute. As the eyes as the big eyes brightened and the big mouth began to smile, 
Joe nodded and laughed and flourished her broom as she called out, How do you do? Are you sick? Lori opened the window and croaked, a, and croaked out as hoarsely as a raven. Better, thank you. I've had a bad cold and been shut up a week. I'm sorry. What do you amuse yourself with? Nothing. It's dull as tombs up here. Don't you read? Not much. They won't let me. Can somebody read to you? Grandpa does sometimes, but my books don't interest him, and I hate to ask Brooke all the time. Have someone come and see you, then. There isn't anyone I'd like to see. Boys make such a row, and my head is weak. Isn't there some nice girl who'd read and amuse amuse you? Girls are quiet and like to play nurse. Don't know any. You know us, began Joe, and then laughed and stopped. So I do. Will you come, please, cried Lori. I'm not quiet and nice, but I'll come if mother will let me. I'll go ask her. Shut the window like a good boy and wait till I come. With that, Joe shouldered her broom and marched into the house, wondering what they would all say to her. Lori was in a flutter of excitement at the idea of having company and blew about to get ready, for as Mrs. March said, he was a little gentleman and did honor to the coming guests by brushing his hair, curly plait, putting on a fresh collar, and trying to tidy up the room, which in spite of half a dozen servants was anything but neat. Presently, there came a loud ring and a decided voice asking for Mr. Lorry, and a surprised-looking servant came running up to announce the young lady. All right, show her up. It's Miss Joe, asked Lorry, coming to his door in his little parlor to meet Joe, who appeared looking rosy and quiet and kind and quiet at her ease with a covered dish in one hand and best three kittens in the other. Here I am, bag and baggage, she said whiskily. Mother sent her love and was glad to do anything for you. Meg wanted me to bring some of her um, of her blamage, but she makes it very nicely, and Beth thought that her cats would be comforting. I know you'd laugh at them, but I couldn't refuse. She was so anxious to do something. It so happened the best funny loan was just a thing for in laughing over the kids. Lori forgot his bashfulness and grew sociable at once. That looks too pretty to eat, he said, smiling with pleasure, as Joe uncovered the dish and showed the blankamage surrounded by a garfield, a garland of green leaves and the scarlet flowers of Amy's pet germanin. <laughs> it isn't anything, only they all felt kindly and wanted to show it. All the girl to put it away in your tea. It's so simple you can eat it, and being soft it will slip down into hurting your sore throat. What a cozy room this is. It might be if it was kept nice, but the maids are lazy, and I don't know how to make them mind. It worries me, though. I'll write it up in two minutes, for it only needs to have the earth brushed so it only needs to have the earth brushed so, and the things made straight on the mantelpiece, and so the books put here and the bottles there and your sofa turned from the light, and the pillows plumped up a bit. Now then, you're fixed. And so he was, and so he was, for as she laughed and talked, Joe had whisked things into place and given quite a different air to the to the room. Lori watched her in respectful silence, and when she beckoned him to, the, to his sofa, he sat down with a sigh of satisfaction, saying gratefully, How kind you are. Yes, that's what, that's what it wanted. Now please take the big chair and let me do something to amuse you company. No, I came to amuse you. Shall I read aloud? And Joe looked affectionately towards some inviting books nearby. Thank you. I've read all those, and if you don't mind, I'd rather talk, answered Lori. Not a bit. I'll talk all day if you'll only set me going. Beth says I never know when when to stop. Is Beth Beth the rosy one? 
who stays at home a good deal and sometimes goes out with a little basket, asked Lori with interest. Yes, that's Beth. She's my girl, and a regular good one she is, too. The pretty one is Meg, the curly-haired one is Amy, I believe. How did you find this out? Lori colored up and answered frankly, Why, you see, I often hear you calling to one another, and when I'm alone up here, I can't help looking over to your house. You always seem to be having such good times. I beg your pardon for being so rude, but sometimes you forget to put down the curtain at the window where the flowers are, and when the lamps are lighted, it's like looking at a picture to see the fire and you all around the table with your mother. Her face is right opposite, and it looks so sweet behind the flowers. I can't help watching it. I haven't got any mother, you know, and Lori poked the fire to hide the little twitching of the lips he could not control. The solidarity hunger, hungry look in his eyes went straight to Joe's warm heart. She had begun so simply taught that there were no nonsense in her head, and at fifteen she was so innocent and frank as any child. Lori was sick and lonely, and feeling how rich she was in a home love and happiness, she tried. She gladly tried to share it with him. Her face was very friendly, and her sharp voice unusually gentle as she said, We'll never draw that curtain anymore, and I, and I give you leave to look at much as you like. I just wish, though, instead of you peeping, you'd come over and see us. Mother is so splendid. She'd do you heaps so good, and Beth would sing to you if I begged her to. And Amy would dance. Meg and I would make you laugh over our funny stage properties, and we'd have a jolly time. Wouldn't your grandpa let you? I think he would if your mother asked him. He's very kind, though he does not look so, and he lets me do what I like, pretty much. And he lets me do what I like, pretty much. Only he's afraid I might be a bother to strangers, began Lori, burning more and more. We are not strangers. We are neighbors. And you needn't think you'd be a bother. We want to know you. And I've been trying to do so, if this ever so long. We haven't been here in a great while, you know. But we have gotten acquainted with all our neighbors but you. You see, Grandpa lives among his books and doesn't mind much what happens outside. Mr. Brooke, my tutor, doesn't stay here, you know. And I have no one to go up about with me so i just stop at home and get on as i can that's bad you ought to make an effort and go visiting everywhere you are ask then you'll have plenty of friends and pleasant places to go to never mind being bashful it won't last long if you keep going laurie turned red again but it wasn't offended as being accused of bashfulness but there is so much goodwill in joe it was impossible not to take her blunt speechless speeches as kind as kindly as they were meant do you like your school? asked the boy, changing the subject after a little pause during which he stared at the fire and Joe looked about her well pleased. Don't go to school. I'm a businessman. Girl, I mean. I go to wait on my great aunt and a dear cross old soul she is too, answered Joe. Laurie opened his mouth as to ask another question, but remembering just in time that it wasn't manners to make too many inquiries into people's affairs, he shut it again and then looked uncomfortable. Joe liked his good breeding and didn't mind having a laugh at Aunt March, so she gave him a lively description of the fidgety old lady, her fat poodle, and the parrot that, that talked Spanish, in the library where she revealed. Laurie enjoyed that immensely, and when she told about the prim old gentleman who came once to woo Aunt March in the middle of a fine speech, how Pole had tweaked his wig off his great dismay, the boy lay back and laughed till tears ran down his cheeks, and the maid popped her head in to see what was the matter. Oh, that does me no end of good. Tell on, please, he said, taking his face out of the sofa kitchen and red and shining with merriment. Much elated with her success, Joe did tell on all about their plays and plans, their hopes and fears for father, and the most interesting events of the little world in which their sisters lived. 
Then they got to the books about books. Then they got to talking about books. And to Joe's delight, she found that Lori loved them as well as she did, and had read even more than herself. If you like them so much, come down and see ours. Grandpa is out, so you shouldn't be afraid, said Lori, getting up. I'm not afraid of anything, returned Joe with a toss of the head. I don't believe you are, exclaimed the boy, looking at her with as much admiration, though he privately thought she would have a good reason to be trifle afraid of the old gentleman, if she met him in some of his moods. The atmosphere of the whole house began summer-like. Lori led the way from room to room, letting Joe stop to examine whatever struck her fancy. And so, at last, they came to the library where she clapped her hands and pranced, as she always did, when especially delighted. It was lined with books, and there were pictures and statues and distraction little cabinets full of coins, curiosities, and sleepy hollow chairs, and queer tables and bronzes, and best of all, a great open fireplace with quaint tiles around it. What richness, sighed Joe, sinking into the depths of a velvet chair and gazing around her with an air of intense satisfaction. Theodore Lawrence, you ought to be the happiest boy in the world, she added impressively. A fellow can't live on books, said Laurie, shaking his head as he perched on the table. Before he could move, before he could moor, a bell rang and Joe flew up, exclaiming with alarm, Mercy me, it's your grandpa. Well, what if it is? You are not afraid of anything, you know, returned the boy, looking wicked. I think I am a little bit afraid of him, but I don't know why I should be. Marmy said I might come, and I don't know, and I don't think you're of any worse for it said Joe, composing herself, though she kept her eyes on the door. I'm a great deal better for it, and even so much obliged. I've only, I'm only afraid you are very tired talking to me. It was so pleasant I couldn't bear to stop, said Laurie grateful, gratefully. The doctor to see you, the maid beckoned as she spoke. Would you mind if I left you for a minute? I suppose I must see him, said Laurie. Don't mind me, I'm happy as a cricket here, answered Joe. Laurie went away, and his guest amused herself in her own way. She was standing before a fine portrait of an old gentleman where the door opened again without turning. She said decidedly, I'm not sure now that I shouldn't be afraid of him, for he's got kind eyes, though his mouth is grim and he looks as if he has a tremendous will of his own. He isn't as handsome as my grandfather, but I like him. Thank you, ma'am, said a gruff voice behind her, and there, to her great dismay, stood old Mr. Lawrence. Poor Joe blushed till she couldn't blush any rather and her heart began to beat uncomfortably fast as she thought what she had said. For a minute, a wild desire to run away possessed her, but that was cowardly, and the girls would laugh at her, so she resolved to stay and get out of her scrape as she could. A second later showed that the living eyes under the bushy eyebrows were even kinder than the painted ones, and there was a sly wrinkle, a slight twinkle in them, which lessened her fear a good deal. The gruff voice was gruffier than usual as the old man said abruptly after a dreadful pause, so you're not afraid of me, hey? Not much, sir. And you don't think of me as handsome as, as your grandfather? Not quite, sir. And I've got a tremendous will, have I? I only said I thought so. But you like me in spite of it. Yes, I do, sir. That answer pleaded, pleased the old man. He gave a short laugh, shook hands with her, and putting his finger under his chin, turned up her face, examined it gravely, and let it go with a nod, saying, You've got your grandfather's spirit if you haven't his face. He was a fine man, my dear. But what is better, he was brave and honest, and an honest one, and I was proud to be his friend. Thank you, sir, said Joe, was quite comfortable after that, for it suited her exactly. What have you been doing to this boy of mine, hey? With the next question sharply put. Only trying to be neighborly, sir, and Joe told how her visit came about. You think he needs some cheering up a bit, do you? Yes, sir, he seems a little lonely, and young folks 
would do him a good and would do him good perhaps we are only girls but we should be glad to help him if we could if we don't forget the splendid christmas present you sent us said joe eagerly tut 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 that was the boy's affair how was the poor woman doing nicely sir and off went joe talking very fast as she told about the hummels and whom her mother had interest richer friends than they were just her father's way of doing good i shall come and see your mother some fine day tell her so there's a tea bell we have it eagerly on the boy's account come down and go on being neighborly if you'd like to have me sir shouldn't ask you if i didn't ask said and mr lawrence offered his her his arm with an old-fashioned curtsy what would meg say to this thought joe as she marched away while her eyes danced as a fun she imagined herself telling the story at home hey why what the dickens has come to the fellow and the old gentleman as laurie came running downstairs and brought up with a start of surprise at the astonishing sight of joe arm in arm with his redoubtable grandfather i didn't know you'd come sir he began as joe gave him a triumphant little glance that's evident by the way you rack it downstairs come to your tea sir and behave like a gentleman and having pulled the boy's hair by the way of the of caress Mr. Lawrence walked on while Laurie went through a series of comic evolutions behind their backs, which nearly produced an explosion of laughter from Joe. The old gentleman did not say much as he drank four cups of tea, but watched the young people who soon chattered away like old friends, and the change in his grandson did not escape him. There was a color, light, and life in the boy's face, viviacantly in his manner and genuine merriment in his laugh. She's right, the lad is lonely. I'll see what these little girl of uh, what these little girls can do for him, thought Mr. Lawrence, as she looked as as he looked and listened. He liked Joe for her odd blunt ways suited him, and she seemed to understand the boy almost as well as if she had been one herself. If the Lawrences had been what Joe called prim and pokey, she would not have she would not have got one at all. For such people always made her shy and awkward, but finding them free and easy, she was so herself made a good impression when they rose she proposed to go but laurie said he had something more to show her and took her away to the conservatory which had been lighted for her benefit it seemed quite fairy-like to joe as soon as she went up and down the walks enjoying the blooming walls on walls on either side the soft light the damp sweet air the wonderful vines and trees that hung about while her new friend cut the finest flowers till his hands were full then he tied them up saying with a happy look on with a happy look joe liked to see please give these to your mother and tell her i like the medicine she sent me very much they found mr lawrence standing in the front standing before the fire in great drawing room but joe's attention was entirely absorbed by a great by a grand piano which stood open do you play she asked turning to laurie with a respectful expression sometimes he answered modestly please do now i want to hear it so i can tell beth won't you first don't know how too stupid to learn but i love music dearly so Laurie played, and Joe listened, with her nose luxuri luxuriously buried in helotrope and tea roses. Her respect and regard for the Lawrence boy increased very much, for he played remarkably well and didn't put on any airs. She wished Beth could hear him, but she did not say so, only praised him till he was quite abashed, and his grandfather came to his rescue. That will do, that will do, young lady. Too many sugar plums are not good for him. His music isn't bad, but I hope he will do as well and many as do as well and more important things. Going? Well, I'm much obliged to you and I hope you'll come again. 
My respects due to your mother. Good night, Dr. Joe. He shook hands kindly, but looked as if something did not please him. When they got into the hall, Joe asked Lori if she had done something amiss. He shook his head. No, it was me. He doesn't like to hear me play. Why not? I'll tell you someday. John is going home with you, as I can't. No need of that. I'm, I am not a young lady, as it is only a step. Take care of yourself, won't you? Yes, but you will come again, I hope. If you promise to come and see me after us after you are well, I will. Good night. Good night, Lori. Good night, Joe. Good night. When all the afternoon's adventures had been told, the families, the family felt inclined to go visiting in a body for each found something very attractive in the big house on the other side of the hedge. Mrs. March wanted to talk to her father with the old man who had, for, who had not forgotten him. Meg longed to walk in the, in the conservatory. Beth sighed for the grand piano, and Amy was eager to hear the fine pictures and statues. Mother, why didn't Mr. Lawrence like to have Lori play? asked Joe, who was in inquiring disposition. I am not sure, but I think it was because his son, Lori's father, married an Italian lady, a musician who, displeated, who displeased the old man, who was very proud. The lady was good and lovely and accomplished, but he did not like her and never saw his son after he married. They both died when Lori was a little child, and then his grandfather took him home. I fancy the boy who was born in Italy is not very strong, and the old man is afraid of losing him, which makes him so careful with Lori. comes naturally by his love of music, for he is like his mother, and I dare say his grandfather fears that he may want to be a musician. At any rate, his skill reminds him of the woman he did not like, and so he glowered, as Joe said. Dear me, how romantic, exclaimed Meg. How silly, said Joe. Let him be a musician if he wants to, and not plague his life out sending him to college where he hates to go. That's why he is such a handsome, black-eyed, and pretty manners, I suppose. Italians are always nice, said Meg, who was a little sentimental. What do you know about his eyes and his manners? You never spoke to him hardly, cried Joe, who was not sentimental. I saw him at the party, and what you tell shows that he knows how to behave. That was a little. That was a nice little speech about the medicine mother sent him. He meant the blackage, I suppose. How stupid are you, child? He meant you, of course. Did he? And Joe opened her eyes as if it had never occurred to her before. I never saw such a girl. You don't know. You don't know a compliment when you get it," said Meg, with the air of young lady who knew all about the matter. I think they are great nonsense, and I'll thank you not to be silly and spoil my fun. Lori's a nice boy, and I like him. I wouldn't have any sentimental stuff about compliments and such rubbish. We'll all be good to him because he hasn't got any mother, and he never and see us. Me and he, Marme? Yes, Joe. Your little friend is very welcome, and I hope Meg will remember that, cho- that children should be children as long as they can. I don't call myself a child, and I'm not in my teens yet, observed Amy. What do you say, Beth? I was thinking about our pilgrim's progress, answered Beth who had not heard a word. How we got out of the sloth through the wicked, through the wicked's gate by resolving to be good and up the steep hill by trying that maybe the house over there full of splendid things is going to be our palace beautiful. We have to get out by the lions first, said Joe, as if she rather liked the prospect.